All right, if you got a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 3, actually finishing up the chapter of John chapter 3. And we've been in it now for several weeks, and we talked about arguably the famous verse, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And that whole conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus. And then last week, if you were here, on Mother's Day, we talked about John the Baptist's or John the Witness's response to when he was asked a question or pointed out that his disciples were all going over to Jesus and how John had to, like moms do so often, had to kind of referee this argument or this um, discussion that arose. And, and then John responds to that with such spiritual maturity. He responds to that with such amazing emotional health and how he says, listen, everything that I have has been given to me. They all need to go to him. He must increase. I must decrease. Those were the verses that we just saw on the screen. And today, what I want us to do is we're going to look at the last part of John chapter three, verses 31 through 36. So if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be. And what I want us to understand is how in the world did John act like that? How in the world did John get to a place where he responded in such emotionally healthy ways, where he responded when a discussion rose by not um, doing what most of us do today on social media and going crazy or going postal is how we used to say it. You're like, why going postal? I don't know why. It was because there's always people went crazy at post shop, postal shops, right? And, and, and we've seen that happen. But, but now everybody goes crazy. I don't know what we call it now. People are going Twitter or going Facebook. Or I don't know how we would say that now. But we've seen this. There's just so much anxiety in the system. There's so much kind of just general fear and anxiety to where I mean, now we're not just rushing on toilet paper, we're rushing on gas, right? And some of y'all went crazy this weekend, and, and I understand it. I mean, it happens, but come on, don't fill up your Target sacks with gas. That's just insane, all right? And so I don't know how in the world people, you know, if you actually saw people doing that, or if that was you, all right, grace covers a multitude of sins, but you were, you were crazy, all right? And so, but there's this, right, there's this, and if you don't know what we've been talking about, you might be watching this like a year and a half later. You're like, what? People are putting gas in bags? I don't know. It's crazy. All right. But, but, but there's responses that we have now, or let me just say it like this. There's behaviors that we have that are, are so crazy, so ridiculous, so we might say emotionally unhealthy, so fear-based. And yet there's John who in a very similar type of high-stress situation when an argument arises and, and it's the time where he would normally speak up, he responds so differently. He responds so spiritually mature. And so what I want us to do today is, is to have an honest kind of conversation. And, and it might feel a little technical to you, at least at the beginning. And, 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 but I want you to have a basis of understanding is man, how does John do that? How does he behave in such an emotionally healthy way? And what I want to connect it to is because of what he believes. John's beliefs were so grounded, were so rock solid, that he responds in a high-stress situation with such maturity. That's my goal for us. Now, you don't even have to be a Christian to understand that that's probably a good goal, right? It's, it's a good goal 
to learn how to respond or act or behave without overreacting, without going crazy, without going to these levels that we, a normal person would look back and be like, man, that's, that's a little intense. And so what I want us to do, again, is think about how does that happen? And, and, and so before we get into the text, actually, in John chapter 3, I want to give you some words, some definition of some words, because these are kind of form the basis of understanding these verses, because the verses that we're going to see are just incredible. I mean, theologically rich doctrine verses, and they are the grounds of John's beliefs, and these beliefs form his behaviors. Let me say it to you like this. His behaviors come out of his beliefs. But in order to understand these, there's two words I want to tell you so that you kind of understand this. And these are theological words. And I'm not saying these words to you so that I can sound really smart. You're like, well, pastor's using Latin words today. This is fantastic. All right. I'm not saying it to you for like that, but I, I want you to know because we live in a day and age now where you're told a lot of stuff and a lot of it is just flat out wrong or misguided, and, and sadly, a lot of it, it is even coming from pastors or teachers or supposed churches. And so I, I always want to, as a pastor, help you have a grounded faith. So the two words are this, and I have it here on the screen. The first one is orthodoxy, which means right doctrine or belief. I'll explain these words. And then the second one is orthopraxy, which is right practice or behavior. Now, these two words are Latin words made up of two compound Greek words. And the word ortho, you've heard before. Because either you or your kids have gone to an orthodontist before. Right? And you're like, yeah, I helped the orthodontist's kids go to college. Because you pay a lot of money, right? Both of my kids have had braces. One kid has braces right now. And the word ortho means straight, not crooked, correct. So the whole point of going to an orthodontist is to have straight teeth. That's where the name comes from. So if you go to an orthodontist, pay a lot of money, and they still crooked, get a new one, right? Because they're not ortho. They're not very straight. They're not very correct. Now, the word doxy is another Greek word that stands for doctrine. So orthodoxy is straight or correct doctrine. Now, the word doctrine is, again, a theological word that, that kind of some, we use the word doctrine to say it's our belief system, which is why I gave you the definition of it is it's right doctrine or belief. So the word orthodoxy is right doctrine, right belief. Now, again, we live in a day and age where people would say, oh, that's impossible for you to claim that you have right doctrine because it feels so intolerant because by definition, if something is right, then something else is what? Wrong. You guys are smart. Yeah, right and wrong. But I want to show you that there is such a thing as right doctrine, just like there is such a thing as straight teeth. 
You may say, that's not straight, that's crooked. Well, your definition of crooked is wrong, sucker. Again, what if I paid thousands of dollars to get my kids' teeth straightened, and I went in, and they crooked, and the doctor was like, that's not crooked, that's straight. Would any of you accept that? No, you're like, I didn't pay you money to keep them crooked. No, you believe in a definition of correct. You do. We all do. So the idea that there's no way to tell what's straight or what's correct is just fallacy. We don't live our lives like that. We know there's correct. We know there's straight. What we live in, though, is in a culture, we're way past postmodernism now, to where truth is, is not only just relative, but it's relative to my experience. And so it's like, well, you say that's straight. You say that's crooked. I don't think that's crooked. I don't think that's straight. Well, when your tooth is going sideways, that ain't straight, homie. Right? So, so here's why I'm pushing you on this. You better know what is right doctrine. You better know what is right beliefs. Here's why. Because your beliefs are going to inform the second part that I told you there, orthopraxy. Now, same word, ortho, straight. The word praxi is a Greek word, a Latin word from Greek that stands for practice. Right beliefs, right behaviors. And we know the phrase practice makes what? Perfect. Again, we live in a day and age that says it doesn't really matter how you behave. We have this weird definition as long as it's not hurting anyone. But again, anybody who's ever played sports, when a coach is coaching a team, does a coach say, you know what? I don't really care how you practice. You don't want to shoot it in that basket. You want to throw it over there out of bounds. That's fine. Right? We know this doesn't work. But here's the connection I want us to see for the purposes of our conversation in a biblical sense today. Right practice flows out of right belief. So if you have somebody who's practicing wrong or behaving wrong, it's because they don't believe correctly. And so belief is what informs it. In fact, I have a point. Let me write it to you like this. You can write this down if you want. But right behavior, orthopraxy, flows from right belief, orthodoxy. So right behavior flows out of right doctrine, right belief. So those two things are so important. You say, all right, pastor, thanks for the theological lesson today. What about the text? Well, here's why I'm setting this up for you. We talked last week about John's behaviors. John behaved. I've already set it up today. He behaved in such an incredible way, so calm, so emotionally healthy. He says, man, it all needs to go to Jesus. Everything I have is a gift. He must increase. I must decrease. That's how he acts. But what I want to know is why? And what I'm trying to show you is this. The beliefs are the why behind the what. The what is the behaviors or the actions. The why is the belief. And here's why I want you to understand this. Because so much of life and even unfortunately Christianity is most people trying to address the what without first addressing the why. 
This is the difference between the symptoms and the problem. Most of Christianity is behavior modification. Don't do this, do this. The what? Act this way, behave this way. But if we're not careful, and even as parents, again, going even back to Mother's Day, if we're not careful, we'll raise kids that we try to behavior modify without first giving them a belief system that will lead to the right behaviors. So it's an outside-in approach. And what I want you to see is that's not what John did. And then ultimately, obviously, that's not what Jesus did. John has an amazing grounded belief system. And out of that belief system came those behaviors. Let me show it to you. Verse 30. Here's the verse from last week that we ended on, and I wanted to start there again because it highlights the behavior. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. So that's the behavior. Now, again, all of us would want kids to live like this. All of us, in our, we would want ourselves to live like this. Yes, I want to make much of Jesus, not of myself. Well, how do you get that? We'll look at the next few verses. Verse 31. Now, this is John talking. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So the very first part of John's understanding of doctrine, John's understanding of beliefs is the reason why Jesus must increase is because Jesus is greater than him. Jesus is above him. Jesus is higher than him. Jesus exists to a, a level of, of greatness and degree and spatial time and awareness. I mean, every imaginable adjective that you could think of, Jesus is above John. And, and, and John uses the, the most descriptive kind of language that he can think to use, I would imagine, to say, he's from up there, I'm from down here. The reason why he must increase is because he's from, from above. He's from heaven and I'm from below. I'm of the earth. I think John had a, a solid belief system in, you got to remember, John is culturally, ethnically Jewish and he, he knew his Bible and in Genesis 3, verse 19, it says, when God was pronouncing judgment to man, he says, you're from the dust and you'll go back to the dust. Because what did God pick up and breathe life into when he first made man? What was it? Dirt. I used to joke with parents all the time. You want to know why boys like playing in the mud and then the dirt? Because it's where they came from. It, it's home. It's natural. This is why most boys will argue with their mamas about taking showers, about cleaning. I'll never forget the very first time I had to graduate from the bath into the shower. I argued with my mom about it. And I don't know why. I mean, obviously, you know, we, I joke all the time. I don't know why. God didn't save me because I was smart. But my very first shower I took with my swim trucks on. I don't know why. I mean, why do you do the things that you do? I don't know. Paul says it in Romans 7. I don't know why I do what I do. But I, I fought taking a shower so much 
I, I did it with my swim trucks on. And I look back on that, I'm like, that's stupid. Because I am a limited person. I have limited understanding. And, and, that's, and, and this isn't a knock on men. Please don't take it as that. Ladies don't use it as that. But we're from the earth. And then obviously, if you know the story, God takes a rib out of man and creates woman. And so, yes, women, we understand you are better than us because you were made from us. We were made from the dirt. But I think John understands something about who he is and who Jesus is. He says, man, he's not from the dirt like me. He's from above. He's higher. As Isaiah says, his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. So naturally, what John is saying here, listen, it's only natural that in my behaviors, I would act in such a way where he's increasing and I'm decreasing because in my belief system, it's built upon the fact that he's greater than me. He's greater than me. So here's what I'm trying to show you. His behaviors flowed out naturally from his beliefs. He believed that God was greater. So, so check this in your own life. If your behaviors don't naturally flow in such a way where you understand and you try to make much of increasing Jesus and decreasing yourself, it's because you have wrong beliefs. You think too highly of yourself. You think, well, you know what? I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty smart. And this is when people try to come to faith. And it's like, well, I won't believe in God until I can understand him. Good luck. But I don't know about you. I want to worship a God I don't understand. Because if I can understand him, that means the entire world is limited to the gray matter between these ears. You don't want me as God. You don't even want me as president. You barely want me as pastor. But here's what I want. I've never felt better about myself than thinking less of it. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I'm a piece of trash. No, it's just I'm thinking of myself less. I'm not downing who I am. I'm not downing that God made, because I am made in his image. And so if I'm downing myself in that regard, I'm downing what he made. So don't hear me. This is, this is like the person who thinks that in order to get ahead, they got to tear somebody else down. So I got to feel better about myself by making you feel worse. That's not what this is. So this isn't downing myself, but it's just understanding that compared to God, compared to him who's above, <laughs> I mean, it's like being in a plane and looking down from 30,000 feet, things that were so big here now look like ants. It's just a perspective. And John has the right perspective. Let's go on. Look at what else he says. He bears, now he's talking about Jesus. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Now, the second thing that John believes is not only that Jesus is above him, but Jesus has seen and heard. 
Now, this is hugely important because this is what separates Jesus from any other religious teacher that has ever lived or will ever live. See, every religious belief system on the planet today, and the three major ones are Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, every belief system, even beyond those, the Eastern ones, have this idea that whoever the founder was, he was special or she was special. Like something about them was different. And some of them have beliefs that they rode up to heaven on a donkey and got some golden tablets and came back down with them. That's for real the belief. And so they kind of look at the founder as, man, that person knew something, had figured something out. They're special. They're different. But here's what makes Jesus utterly different than any of them. Most of them claim to have either gone to heaven or have heard from, from heaven, but Jesus is the only one who was in heaven and came here. So every religion is like, no, they came from earth and went to heaven, but Christianity is the only one that says, no, he came from heaven to earth. So therefore, he has seen and heard. Now, this is why it's so important, and I want you to understand about faith. You know, we talk a lot about faith, faith in Jesus. Faith is trust, believe. I already said believing, right doctrine, right beliefs. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so there's a lot of people that struggle coming to faith because I can't see it. But I want you to understand something. It's not that our faith is built on the absence of sight. This is important. It's just built on someone else's sight. Here's what I mean. When Paul was telling to us, our faith comes not from seeing. That's true because we haven't seen God. We haven't seen heaven. We haven't been there. But our faith is in someone who has seen it, who has been there and now is bearing witness about it. And this is the part I want us to understand. So your faith isn't based upon no sight. It's just not based on your sight, but Jesus's. And that's where you can have a rock solid faith to say, listen, I have the only faith system on the planet that is built on not someone hoping that they're right, but on someone who is right because they did see. So Jesus did see God because he is God. He did see creation because he made creation. He did see heaven because he came from there. It's the same type of way with works. I told you a few weeks ago, if you were here, it's, we're not saved by works, we're saved for works. And that's true on our level. But I want you to understand something. We are saved by works, just not our works. His work. So don't think that our faith is like a, I hope I've done enough. No, our faith is, he did enough. He said it was finished. So my faith is based on someone else's work. My faith is based on someone else's sight. And so John understood something. And again, if you understand this, you'll act like John. Because John understood this Jesus that he was talking to was God. He has seen he has heard, and now he's speaking. And so when he's speaking, his testimony is true. That's what he says. 
So this is where we need to understand if we all have that type of rock-solid belief system, our behaviors would naturally flow out like John's did. And so when it comes to right doctrine, the reason why I want to stress this is it's so important today. I would say more so than ever, but I didn't live in the other centuries. I don't know. It's more important now than it was yesterday for you and I to have right belief and right doctrine. And this is where Christians, we get so sheepish around people having conversations with us about Christianity, but actually you and I have far more evidence than they do for their beliefs. Who said, well, how do you know Jesus was from heaven? How do you know he saw all that? Here's how I know. He came back from the dead. And he ain't dead. He's alive right now. Witnessed by over 500 people. So give me better, now watch this, faith than that. Because our faith isn't built on, I hope so. Our faith is built on, I know so. So this is why I'm trying to show you how faith and sight works together. It's not your sight, and it's not that it's faith absence of sight. It's just faith in someone else's sight and someone else's words. And John understood that. He goes on, look at this, verse 34 and 35. For, now I told you this, anytime the word for is there, you should ask yourself the question, what is it there for, right? So he's going to give you a couple here. So now he's explaining what he just said. For he whom God sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. So in those two verses, you just saw the Trinity. You say, well, how does, how does this all work? Well, here's how you know. You have the father. The father gives all things to his son. And the dynamic between the relationship of the father and the son is the spirit. And we can't understand this again because we are fallible people that are trying to wrap our minds around something that is eternal. But you see the dynamic of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus elsewhere says the reason why you can trust his words is because they're not just his words. They're also the Father's words and the Spirit's words. And in the court of law, if you got two witnesses, that confirms what you're saying. So there are witnesses to Jesus beyond just Jesus himself, the Father and the Spirit. So the Father sends him. We'll talk more about this later because Jesus will say things, I only do things that I see the Father doing. I'm, I'm here because the Father sent me here and I'm saying his word. So when Jesus speaks, and this is again what makes Jesus different than any other religious teacher because no other religious teacher actually claimed to be speaking God's words. But John is saying when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the words of the Father. He's not speaking his own words. He's speaking what he has seen and heard. And how do we know that's true? Because he has the spirit in full measure. Now, when you first read, read this, and I thought this, it was talking about Jesus giving us the spirit. Well, that will come later in John 16. 
But I think contextually, what he because again, it's the word for. So this is an explanation as to why Jesus is from above and how his testimony is true. Because this father has given the spirit without, literally full measure means without limit. Without limit. So when Jesus spoke, he not only spoke because he had heard and seen the words of his father and seen the actions of his father, he spoke because he had the spirit without limit. Now, just imagine this, those of you that are believers, we talk about, you know, when we're saved, we're baptized in the spirit, and then we're filled with the spirit, and, and the Bible commands us to be filled with the spirit. And so there have been those times in our lives where we just know that that was God's grace coming to us through the person of the Holy Spirit, because there's no way we could have been able to respond that way in our flesh. Well, just imagine that's how Jesus always lived. So what you and I may have had glimpses of, Jesus had the fullness of. This is why when he was baptized and the spirit descended on him like a dove and you heard the father speak, this is my son with who I'm well pleased. And then the father says, listen to him. Why? Because he's speaking my words and he's full without limit of the Holy Spirit. So again, there's no other person in human history who can claim those things. And those two things are evidence or testimony, if you will, to why he's above and why you should listen to him. So that is John's doctrine. That's his belief. And if you believe that, Naturally, what would flow out of you is behaviors like John's. So let's reverse engineer this. If behaviors aren't flowing out of you like John's, what's the culprit? We don't believe like he did. And this is what I'm trying to get you to see. See, we wrestle in our behaviors because at the end of the day, we don't really believe what God said. Let me say it to you like this. You want to know why you and I sin? It's very simple. We believe, notice the word there, we believe sin will give us something that God can't. That's why you sin. That's why Adam and Eve sinned, right? God gave them a command, eat of all the trees except for this one. And so here's Adam. He's got a lush garden and a naked woman, and he wants the one thing he can't have. Stupid dude. My goodness. And Satan walks in. Well, why is God holding out on you? Uh, he said, look at that tree. It's pretty good, isn't it? And, and don't miss this. What was the belief that undergirded the corresponding behavior. God's not good. He's holding out on me. He's not giving me maximum joy because if he was giving me maximum joy, watch this, this is what our culture says. He would put no limits on me because we all know a limitless life is where joy comes from. Yeah. Try to jump off a tall building building and see if that's true. You have limits, homie. 
And that is the lie of culture today. God's oppressive. People are oppressive. Go with what you feel. Go beyond established boundaries and limits. And you want to know why you and I do that? Because we believe the promise behind the behavior. That's why we do it. It's that simple. So here's what I'm trying to get you to see. What you and I need to stop doing is coming to church and try to do what Dallas Willard calls image management or sin management. Where we're just trying to clean up our behavior. Yeah, you know, I need to stop doing that. Yeah, you're right. Mama said. Right? Remember on Mother's Day last week? Yeah, you know, I know, I know. I know smoking kills me. <laughs> I could say some funny stuff. I got I to gotta be careful. Because I don't ever want to offend. Because there's not some sins that are worse than the others. But I did see somebody driving down the, car, the road the other day. And on their, they had stickers about this health product they were selling. Literally like this. Contact me. Better health. And I look over and she's smoking. And I just started laughing. And I was like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, you think I'm going to buy health products from her? Now, for all the others, y'all that smoke, don't go. I'm not, smoking's not any worse than, this is what Christians do. Like them smokers and they're over there shoving their face with fried chicken. We just call that, you know, potluck in Baptist world. But why do we do those things? Because we've bought into, check, the belief that undergirds the behavior. We haven't bought into the fact that God is completely other. He's completely holy. And therefore, he knows better than us. And so if we will just listen to him, if we will believe him, then naturally, the behaviors would flow out of that. I was having a conversation with Natalie the other day. Probably, I've, no, it was the day before we saw the health person. And um, she was singing a song about holy. And, and I asked her, I said, do you know what holy means? And she gave me an answer. And, eh, and I said, no, that's not what it means. And I wasn't being mean or trying to correct her. I said, I just want you to know what it means so that you'll understand what you're singing. Uh, and our worship leaders do that too. We don't just write you know, ridiculous words. We want you to know the meaning behind the words. And so I was explaining to her, her uh, holy means set apart, other, completely different. In the Bible, when you see the angels singing, they're singing holy, 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 because in Hebrew, they didn't have adjectives. They would just repeat it. And so I said, God is completely other, other, other. He's holy, holy, holy. He's completely set apart. And so therefore, naturally, he is way greater than us. And then I asked her another question question and she didn't know the answer to it. And then I gave her the answer and I kid you not, my 11 year old daughter, she's awesome. She looked at me and she's like, well, aren't you just a Christian dictionary? <laughs> and I said, I said, that's one of the greatest compliments anyone's ever given me. <laughs> Christian dictionary. That's awesome. Now I don't say that to, to make myself sound, oh, I, I'm smart. No. Because I already told you, I tried to bathe my swim trunks on. We have established the baseline here. It's not that I'm smart. It's just that 
I love words and I want to understand the meaning behind them because if I understand the meaning behind them, then they'll change my behaviors later. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Now, even if you still don't believe me, let me give you the last two verses of John chapter three to show you how John connects these two. Look at this. The father, sorry, that was verse 35. The last verse. Whoever believes in the son, now, whoever believes, operative word, orthodoxy, right belief. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. That's right belief. Now look at the next phrase. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now that sentence, it, now after everything that we just talked about, does it kind of jump at you? Because again, this is how I read the Bible. When I read that, I thought it should read like this. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Got that? No problem. I would expect the next statement to say, whoever does not believe. Right? Isn't that what you would think? Whoever does not believe the son shall not see life because it's right belief. That's all that matters. Right belief, right? Well, according to John... And according to God, right belief, watch this, right belief must create and lead to right behavior or else you never know it was right belief. Notice how he says it. He puts it in the positive, whoever believes, and then he puts it in the opposite, in the negative, whoever doesn't obey. So right belief is what saves you, but watch this, but wrong behavior will show that maybe you don't have right belief. That's the connection. Now it's right at this moment that all of us are like, oh no. Because if you're anything like me, you're like, mm -mm. my behavior, uh, ain't always right. So if my behavior is not always right, does that mean I have wrong belief? And this is where I'm saying this to push you because I want you to think about it. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The Bible makes it incredibly clear that faith, when it is planted in you, the gospel, the seed of the word of God, will grow fruit. And you and I can look at someone else's fruit and judge the seed. That's natural. Because if I plant an apple seed in the ground, or Johnny does, whoever that is, right? What's going to come up? If I plant an apple seed, what's going to come up? Apples. Is cantaloupes coming? Are grapes coming? No. So the fruit finds its genesis in the seed, and the seed produces the fruit. So naturally, there's a connection there. And here's all I'm saying it to you. If the gospel has been planted in your life, it will grow gospel fruit. It just does. So measuring fruit does become an inspection point, if you will, to see if the seed was real. Why? Because I can't see your heart. 
Now, here's the distinction I want to make. But God can. This is where people, and primarily the Catholic Church, and don't hear me banging on the Catholics, but I, I want to help you understand right doctrine, has taken the, the epistle of James and made it mean something that it doesn't mean. And so people will look at the gospel, not the gospel, I want to say the gospel of James, the epistle of James and see, James says faith without works is dead. That's true. But what he's not saying is it's faith plus works. That's what the Catholic church to this day subscribes to. That is not true. Because what James is asking or what he's answering is the question that he says, how can I know that your faith is real? The only way I can know is if that faith produces apples, if it produces fruit. That's how I know. But the Bible says in 1 Samuel that God looks at the heart. So God knows. So let me say it to you like this. God doesn't need to see your faith plus works to know that your faith is genuine. But we do, because I can't see your heart. But here's the point. If it's genuine faith, it will produce genuine works. And so the question is, if there's not genuine works, is it genuine faith? I don't know. I can't determine that. God can. But here's what we've also done. In churches, because we used to preach, and this is where I'm going to wrap this up. He says the wrath of God remains on him. So we don't like talking about wrath today. We don't like talking about that stuff. Again, because we're so enlightened. We're like, no, there's not a hell. Says who? Have you been there? Well, I just don't think that a loving God. Well, I'm going to go with what God himself said, because Jesus talked about it a lot. But this is where people are like, I just don't believe. Mm -hmm. What are you basing that belief on? Because I'm basing it on sight. I'm basing it on words from someone who knows because he created the place. And here's what I want you to understand. Hell was never created for you. It was created for the devil and the demons. But now, because of sin, because we believe the devil, we will all go there. Listen, not because God sends us there, but because we send ourselves there. Because we're not willing to believe differently. This is why the Bible says the wrath remains. It's already there. And, and let's be honest. Is it that hard to imagine hell when you see the hell on our streets right now? Is it that hard to imagine what an eternity would be without God's presence when we see it daily here? See, here's what hell is. Hell is just humans getting what they always wanted, which was no God. And God's like, I'll let you have it. But you can't say that God isn't loving. Why? Because he sent your son, his son, to free you from it. If you would just simply believe. And then that believe is going to become behaviors. And that's how we know. But we don't like talking about that. But the reason I want you to hear me talk about it, number one, is because the Bible talks about it. But number two is because I don't want you to go there. Now, we in our churches, and those of you that went to church about 20, 30 years ago, we started just preaching turn or burn messages, right? 
And some of you just went like that. Mm. Mm, I remember them. You don't want to go to hell. So here's what happened. A lot of people signed up for God, not because they wanted a person, but because they wanted to get out of a place. And what I'm saying to you is this. That's not genuine faith. Just because you want out of a place, but you don't love a person. Because here's what I know. When you love a person, yes, you'll get out of that place, but then you'll also obey that person. That's what Jesus himself said in John 15. You love me if you obey. So we got to wrap this up. So let me give you my final point and we're done. Without right belief. Now watch this. That leads to right behavior. The wrath remains. Without right belief. That leads to right behavior. I didn't say plus right behavior. That leads to it. The wrath remains. And that's what John believed. So guess what? John behaved in a way where he said, he must increase, I must decrease. And if you and I believe that, then naturally what will flow out of that belief is right behavior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for John, John the witness, who to this day, 2,000 years later, is still witnessing to us. He's still bearing witness to us about you and the witness of Jesus. And God, there's a lot of people today who just don't believe in a heaven or a hell. They don't believe in Jesus. But God, if they're intellectually honest enough, they will have to admit that that belief is built on faith. But it's far shakier faith than the Christian's faith because their faith is not built on anyone's sight. They don't know what happens after death. They don't think about eternity. They just think about now. But John told us that if we don't believe, then the wrath remains and that is eternal. And so God, I pray right now that you would create belief in people that maybe for the first time today understand that they can have a rock solid faith built upon your sight because you saw, you heard, you came, you died, you rose again, you're alive. So nobody looking around or talking here as we close, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never believed in him, put your faith and trust in him, then you can do that right now. No one looking around or talking here as we close, even if you're online, I just encourage you just to close your eyes and just focus on yourself for a second. Say, man, do I really believe this? And if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus today, you can pray with me. 
You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me enough that you sent your son to save me from the wrath of God. And you punished him in my place. And so I'm putting my faith in Jesus and I ask you to save me, forgive me, give me his righteousness. Thank you so much for loving me. Now again, nobody looking around or talking, if you're in one of our in-person locations and you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift your hand up? Don't be ashamed of it, man. This is the greatest day of your life. Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put your hand down. And for those in person and online in a moment, you can give us your information. We'd love to follow up with you. But then those of us who have trusted in Jesus and we would say, yeah, I believe. But if you're taking an honest look at your life and there's behaviors that aren't matching up to his commands, it's because you don't fully believe him. And you don't need to get saved again. You just need to look at the promises that he made you and believe them. As Corinthians says, all the promises of God are a yes in Jesus. So every promise that has ever been promised, if you believe Jesus, they are a yes to you. So believe those promises and it will change your behaviors. Father, I pray that you would create that belief in us. I know God, I still wrestle and struggle with this so many times. There's just things I haven't fully believed yet, and so therefore it hasn't informed and changed my behaviors yet. But God, I pray that that would happen in us. And as we continue to grow, I pray you give us more of your spirit. You would help us to obey because without you, we can't. So thank you so much for loving us, God. And I pray that we would do the hard work of making sure we have right doctrine, especially in a culture that rails against what we believe. And we would settle what we believe so that we can then settle how we behave. And I pray, God, that it would be a behavior that honors you like Jesus did. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.